At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thanks for tuning in to Boner Planet Podcast. Watch the full video exclusively on Carbon TV. This show is brought to you by Tinks, Scent Crusher, Camp Chef, and Cat Work Truck. Victory Archery and Thorn Broadheads. Cobra Archery and Shadow Hunter Blinds. Burris Optics and Reveal Cellular Trail Camps. HHA and HHA USA. Additional support by Under Armour and Deer Camp Coffee. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bowhunter Planet Podcast. Myself, Tim Mazarana tonight and Jamie Noteboom, my partner in crime. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited tonight, actually, because we don't really have a lot of outfitters that that come on and join our podcast to be able to talk about what they do and what going to an outfitter is all about. So tonight we have Han, Hans Fritzmeier. I believe yeah. I pronounced that right. Hopefully, Hans, um, with Dirt Road Outfitters. And uh, Hans, it's a pleasure to have you, man. I appreciate you joining us here for a little conversation. But what I wanted to do is just try to kick it off a little bit with uh, what outfitting is all about. What do you guys do? And, you know, when people go to an outfitter, what are they doing? What what should they expect? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it because I know that y'all don't usually associate with outfitters. You keep your distance for about 50 yards from them. So I appreciate it immensely. Um, most of the time when people go to an outfitter, it's something to where people are just calling i mean they go and search for places on google and hope you know through a process of elimination finding the right place to go to find the dream animal that they want to go and hunt um and what to expect a lot of times is that i mean what i look for what i tell everybody who comes and hunts with us what's different more about us than anybody else is it's more of a family atmosphere and i think if you can find that place to go and hunt that kind of treat you like long last family, you withstand a better chance at having a good quality hunt than some place that runs, let's say 20 guys through camp a week. You know, I think that that really waters down the experience. So I think that that's things that people should look for, just that kind of at family atmosphere type of thing versus the big commercial operation. Um, if that hopefully answers your question. No, that, that makes a lot of sense, man. I, I, I love that aspect of it. And I think, I think people get confused a lot because they think outfitter and they think ranch high fence you know right. shooting fish in a barrel type of thing but sure. tell us about you know kind of the obviously it's not you know we've been to an outfitter we've seen outfitting you know firsthand um but i think that misconception lives in a lot of people's mind where it's like kind of cheating in a way right like they think that they're going to a high fence ranch and and they're just going to show up and it's a guaranteed success um what what yeah. is that like for the for the hunter that's showing up sure and that's i mean that is generally the conception especially if you're killing a deer over 170 inches you know they're like well it had to be a high fence deer whatever it may be um and that's just you know i think people in general have a bad perception of outfitters just because especially around us like they don't pay their leases or they don't treat the farmer right whatever it may be so 
it puts a bad taste in people's mouths, but they don't realize that there are some good people out there that, you know, do take care of you like you need to be taken care of. Um, and I'm just trying to think, what else did you ask? I'm sorry. Uh, no, that was it. Like, what, what, what do hunters kind of expect when they show up at an outfitter? Like, what kind of things do you provide to the okay. hunter when they show up there? So, what we basically for or a deer or a turkey hunt, I've got everything set up beforehand. Whether it's ground blinds, ladder stands, tower blinds, and we provide meals and lodging. And it's usually like one home cooked meal that my mother prepares in the evening. So it's that small again, that small family atmosphere that we provide to the hunter. And it's just, you know, really small and simple. It's nothing too fancy. And I mean, it's not the place where you go and see a hundred to, you know, $400,000 lodge. People stay in my grandparents' old farmhouse that, I mean, it's literally like going to grandpa and grandma's because it is. And where you leave, you're going to have a Pepsi and a Snickers where you go because that's what grandma did for us when we were little. So that's what we do. It's not kind of that big thing where you're just bust through like cattle in the operation, like, I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with you before each time you go out to hunt. We're going to talk about places to go to hunt. We're going to go over trail camera pictures of what you can and cannot shoot. And there might be a spot for like deer in particular that we're going to go. And I'll say, hey, this deer might be 150 inches, but we're going to pass on him because he's only, you know, three and a half. And luckily with us having, you know, about 95% repeat hunters, I've gotten to the point where these guys are on the same page as I am. They understand the thought process behind us having to pass those really good young deer because they understand the age class that they can get to when you do pass on them. So we're really blessed in that sense that we have just a good group of people that come too. And so, and it simplifies things for everybody when it's like that too, you know, makes it really easy on everybody. So you reduce the stress and from everybody's end of things, I mean, it makes it a lot smooth, makes it flow a lot more smoothly. No, I think awesome. it's, I think it is a great idea, and and I liken it kind of to like, say, running running a a house on a lake for a week, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody wants their own property, everybody wants their own lease, everybody wants to do all that work. There's a lot of people that don't have that time to put, you know, hours and hours and all this money into food plots and all this other stuff. Right. You know, they're yeah. work, we're working so much now. This is the a great option to come somewhere like you got running. Or that's already taken care of and i just come for a week and you've done all the work right i benefit right. just sure. like i would you know renting a, a a house on a lake for fourth of july that i couldn't afford you know? sure yeah and that's i mean and that's a lot of what people don't understand is how much work does go i mean how much of your time and expenses go into it beforehand and and it's no by no means you know i can hunt or anything like that but i think when you simplify things and you try to keep the numbers small, you're given the person who chooses to come and hunt with you, you're giving them the best opportunity on a fair chase hunt that you possibly can. I mean, I think that's all that you really can do at the end of the day. You can't dictate mother nature, the weather or anything like that. I mean, just do your best to take care of them. And that's, I mean, let, them, <laughs> let the rest fall in God's hands at the end of the day and hope it works out, so. I love that. Right. That's a great way to put it, man, for sure. So tell us about Dirt Road Outfitters itself. Like, what what is your background? How did you guys get into that? How, get into it? How long have you been around? So I started this when I got done at Coastal Carolina in about 2011. I really kind of did it a little bit before then, but it was one of those things where um, I kind of had the opportunity to go and do stuff in baseball. But um, at that time, just like we, and you know, in this same economy today, like you 
nobody wants to work. I mean, basically you show up at a job and you have a job now if you want it. That's kind of the same thing back then in terms of farm health and that we had two, well, we had one combine and then dad went and bought another one and there was nobody to run it. So that was basically dad's way of telling me, get your butt home and you're running the combine this summer. You can, yeah, you don't get to go do baseball stuff. You got to do this. And I was like, okay, well, if you need me to help on the farm, I've got to make money some other way. Like he can't pay me enough to get ahead. I mean, they helped me in more ways than one and wouldn't be where I am without them. But at the same time, it's like, I got to make a little extra. I can't, you know, I'm not complacent. So that's why I started looking around. We got a lot of those guys that are on the outdoor channel and the sportsman's channel around us that just drive everybody up a wall and they've got a bad taste in their mouth about them. And so I was like, you know, there's a better way to take care of people than how they do things. And people should, when they come on a guided hunt, leave with a smile and not be hustled out of money. And I said, so that maybe that's something I could do on the side. And it's one of those that it just kind of, you know, I kind of did a little bit more in junior college, but then after college, I really did. And when I did, people just, just being genuinely good to people, they appreciate that. And, you know, we all enjoy that too. If you're just good to somebody, they appreciate that. And that's just kind of led to them consistently coming back and then bringing their friends year after year to where, you know, now I've got so many people that want to come and I can't, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a big blessing for sure, but it's um, definitely turned into more of a full-time job than dad ever thought it would. And he never thought it'd work, but it has so far. So um, it's been a good thing. So, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, so that's kind of the long and short of how we got started and yeah, and still up and going. So yeah, and, and who doesn't want to hunt some Kansas deer, right? <laughs> yeah, sounds world renowned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we're we're very lucky in the, the quality of whitetails that we have for sure. I mean, well, and not just deer. I mean, we're in South Central Kansas, where we're really blessed that we've got you know good bobwhite quail, um, pheasants. You've got good water when it's wet. It can be some of the best waterfowl hunting that you've found anywhere. And then good deer and, and turkey too. And we also have some elk too in the area. So, you know, just a little bit of everything in a sportsman's paradise for sure. So it's, it's definitely neat without question. You know, so the way, the way you guys run, I mean, you, you guys have to abide by the seasons, right? I mean, you have to abide by yeah. the hunting seasons. It's not like anybody can come out there anytime and shoot whatever they want, right? There's tags involved and all that sure. kind of stuff. So how, how much, how much uptime do you have? Meaning how, how many, how many months or weeks out of the year are you running outfits? Um, and I don't even know, is that the right word? Is it called an outfit when you're, <laughs> when you're running one? Hunts. Right, right. I, right. I, well, uh, more, right. How many, how many, like how many weeks are you doing that versus like weeks that there's no hunting going on? Sure. So usually like for Turkey, our Turkey season starts April 1, goes till May 31. But then all kind of, you know, kind of when we all know those turkeys kind of get to that point in the year where they're just done working, or like they're just not interested in the hens or they're, you know, you're calling them, they're going a different way. So I'll usually stop with that about May 15th, somewhere around that time frame, because we'll usually get so hot that it kind of turns into deer hunting. I'm like, if we end up having to just basically deer hunt turkeys, like that's not fun for anybody. If they're not goblins, spitting and drumming, that's just not fun for anybody. So I'll uh, kind of slow down from that, which works really good because we've transitioned with our farm to planting beans and corn during that time of the year and then as we get into June we'll kind of transition into winter wheat harvest so it just kind of all flows together with that you know the outfit side of things and then into the farming side of things as well so turkey seasons I would say about a month and a half 
And then you go June, July, August, working pretty heavily on the farm and then keeping all your feeders full of protein and corn. And then September, you'll start up again with deer season and then even blue wing teal season, blue rocket season in September too. So that'll pretty much, it's pretty much nonstop from September until December 31. And then our pheasant and quail comes in in November. And so I'll usually, I've got a few groups of pheasant and quail hunters I'll run at the same time I do deer hunters. And we've got ground that we don't deer hunt. So that kind of works together too, but we're trying to cut corn at that time and get cattle off the pasture too. So, I mean, there's just a lot going on in the fall, but come January, we slow down. About January 31's when pheasant quail goes out in our waterfowl season too. So that's kind of pretty much September till January and then April till May. So half of the year, something like that. But rest of the time, you know, you're taking care of everything and making it good for the next year. So just kind of pretty much nonstop chaos is what I like to call it. So yeah. So what what's your favorite season? What's your favorite hunting season? I mean, if I got to be honest, I'm going to go with shed season when nobody else is here. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, I enjoy that peaceful and quiet time of the year. But no, I, I do like the deer season, honestly. That's the fall's my favorite for sure, because there's so many things you can go and hunt. And when you, you know, you're five to 10 minutes from pheasant and quail and, you know, good waterfowl hunting and deer hunting, and you got elk 10 to 15 minutes down the road, it's like, that's kind of hard to beat, you know, that's just doesn't get much better than the fall time to me anyway so um, that's the time of the year that I like for sure yeah no for sure I, the, one of the coolest things you know for me is I, I hunt um at a property in northern Michigan where there is an elk herd population and uh but but they're they're it's very rare to see one it's not a big herd it, it's somewhere they're estimating around a thousand um you know over the whole part of the the upper part of Michigan where they're running around at. And uh, we were sitting in an area where they weren't really supposed to be in yet. You know, their, their, their area was probably a good, you know, 80, 90 miles north. So we were, we were pretty far south from where their range was supposed to be at. And a couple of years ago, me and my buddy were sitting out in the woods, you know, deer hunting. And uh, we're sitting there early morning. It was like the picture perfect morning where it was you know, cold, but not like freezing. It was a little bit foggy, you know, type of morning. Sun just started to come up and fog started to kind of clear up. And then all of a sudden you hear that bugle in the background. <laughs> My ears perked up. Like, there's no way I just heard that. You know, there's no <laughs> way. And I texted my buddy. I'm like, you hear that? He's like, yeah. I'm like, that's pretty darn cool. And, and uh, you know, fast forward a couple years later, and there's, yeah, there's been definite, you know, spottings of them on trail cams and other things in that area. So they're getting into places that uh, nobody ever knew. And that, that's the coolest thing to me is like kind of being able to introduce people or being able to see new things, right? And that's got to be kind of a joy for you too. Um, right. You know, being able to introduce people that have never hunted Kansas before, never hunted the animals that you guys, that you guys hunt, um, right. to be able to yeah. see, you know, the smiles on their faces too. Sure. Oh, no doubt. I mean, that's, Mom's a retired school teacher, so I guess that's kind of where I get it from. But we do, I mean, I try to, like, if I got guys that are calling for turkey hunting and then I'll have a family call with kids that want to come turkey hunt, I'm going to make sure to get them a spot more than the other guys if I take in new guys. So, and that's what I enjoy so much is just getting kids in the outdoors and, help, you know, getting their first turkey or, you know, first buck, whatever it may be. That's because, you know, everybody wants to ask me, well, don't you go and hunt and do X, Y, and Z? It's like, well, here's the thing. It's like, 
I've been there, done it. Not that I've killed the biggest and baddest of everything, but I get way more joy out of seeing somebody else kill something or seeing the kids go and kill it than myself because that's way more fulfilling to me or somebody that's had cancer or, you know, that's got the Gehrig's disease or a veteran, whatever it may be, something like that. That's just way more fulfilling for me to do that than, you know, than for me to go and, you know, kill 160 inch deer for like, there's no purpose. Like, okay, well, yeah, somebody who went and served the country or a kid or, you know, somebody had cancer, that's way more important to see them tag out than me. So, right. but yeah, right. that's, that's the neat aspect of it for sure. No doubt. Nice. There's a lot of joy in that. So. so speaking of biggest and baddest, what's, what's the biggest buck you've got off that property so far? <laughs> well, <laughs> that we had last year, or do you just want overall? Oh, well, let's, let's do go both. both. Let's okay, go both. Do you, okay. Do you want the biggest one that, um, that we killed or that we had blood and didn't find? And, or that the neighbor killed you want all those that, yeah yeah i want to so here sounds like I a want. good story i want to be jealous because you have to remember we hunt in michigan so mm -hmm. even your lowest number is going to yeah. be bigger than our biggest number probably i got you sure <laughs> so <laughs> well and it, you know and everybody thinks well if you say this number then well you got all kinds of those we all know that upper echelon is hard to find but the biggest one that we've ever killed is in the 180s. Um, there was one that I passed on that was like 18 back in like 2014 that was 185. I passed on him when he was that and then killed him the next year when he's probably maybe a little bit bigger, 185, 190. Swore, I mean, you know, it was a bow hunt, swore I made the best shot on a deer I'd ever made in my life. We never found him and we had all the property for 12 miles around there. So I don't know what happened to that deer. Um, we've had, I mean, I, and I'm sure you guys are very familiar with this, but the one that Nick Munt killed uh, last year, that 208, I had that one notoriously, the trail camera picture he has online. It's my trail camera picture. No way. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he stole that one. But uh, anyway, so there was actually a bigger deer running with that one too. There was a 208. And then I think they killed it down there where he killed his. It was like 218. So those oh, were both running together geez. too. Now, and so... And I know the state record got killed too on about a half mile from our stuff, but nobody knows about it. And we're not telling anybody about it just because the drama it causes and everything too. And that one yeah. will probably go into 250, something like that. So um, we definitely have, you know, we're very blessed in that sense that we have a lot of good deer around us, no question about it. So we got good genetics, but uh, I would say yeah. so. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, it's yeah very hard to beat we're very lucky no question so but oh, yeah awesome wow so how much how much property do you actually run and how does that work because you do you, you don't own it all or do you own it all the vast majority of stuff that we either farm or run cattle on you know either our side of the family or mom's side of the family there's a few leases mixed in with it but the vast majority is all family ground i mean like we were saying earlier, not all of it's huntable acreage, but you know, I haven't sat down and penciled it all out, but I'm sure it's like 20 to 25,000, if not more. I mean, it's, it's, it's enough that I know how many people I can take on it and not overrun right. it. You know, that's right. kind of what my justification for things at the end of the day, like how many can I run on it and not overhunt it and not be the white man who killed all the, all the Buffalo. So, right. Yeah. Uh, well, that's yeah. an art in and of itself. I mean, being able to manage the herd, it's not just about size. It's also about right. the number that you take off, right? So, yeah, 
I mean, you don't want to kill all the big deer and, you know, in one year, um, granted you're going to have new ones that are growing up and all that kind of stuff, but, uh, that, that is, uh, that's an art in itself. Yeah, no, it it is. It's hard because like for our our area of Kansas grounds broken up into quarter sections or 160 acres per 640 acres. So it's really, you know, we started out North of Stafford back in the 1880s, you know, we've got pasture that's been in the family since then. And then when grandpa married grandma, they moved south of town. So we've got, you know, ground that's really spread out. Um, there's a lot of, you know, just miles that we cover at the end of the day. Which, but that does work out, too, in that you've got different genetics in all these places. And, you know, some places have better genetics than the other places. And so that's, that's neat in the sense that I think that's as close as contiguous acreage, as good as you can get to that as possible. So because if you have it all blocked together, yeah, you can grow and manage that as well. But having it spaced out is also nice, too, I think. Right. So. It works out good in that aspect as well. So, but yeah, most definitely. Wow, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're used to our, you know, we see a one twenty and we are pumped. That's our, right. that's, our that's our target buck. So I sure. Well, I, and I understand that we're very for Kansas right now for you. I, I got to see how much property you own here. <laughs> that's absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. I mean, we're used to hunting on like a 200 acre parcel, but uh, typically, you know, in Michigan, um, people hunt on a lot less, you know, 10 to 40 acres can be very, you know, very typical for around here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just so impressive when you talk to people from other states, like just the differences between Mm -hmm. the hunts and all that kind of stuff. So, so what, what has been, so looking back, well, actually, let me, let me ask this first, when, when it comes to the, the deer hunting aspect of it, um, do you get more archery than gun hunters or is it kind of evenly? I mean, obviously I'm assuming that the season's a little bit shorter for gun, but do you have just as much interest in archery than you do in gun? Right. That's what I try to cater as much as I humanly possibly can towards is bow hunting. Cause that's, that's what I love to do at the end of the day. And uh, really with like where we hunt a lot of these woodlots are little five to 30 acre woodlots that are old abandoned homesteads that you know the kids moved away after high school there's no reason for them to come back on the farm if they had initiative to go and want you know do better for themselves so what's grown up over a period of time where the old houses and equipment are are trees well that's where your deer are and so that's what I try to tell everybody that calls me like and I said, if you can, a lot of these guys that want to come and gun hunt, and I take a few just to try to cover my expenses. That's the only reason I take in a few gun hunters, but I'd prefer to do all bow. But what I tell the gun hunters, I said, look, these Raven crossbows, like we've all seen them kill deer at 78 to 80 yards, if not 100 yards, no problem. There's no reason that you need a gun to come out here to Kansas because they're so under pressured compared to where you're used to hunting, whether it's right. up in Michigan or down south in the south. like. You guys are just, it's going to amaze people that we have the amount of deer we do for no more, you know, timber than we have. And two, for them not to be more skittish of, of us than they, you know, than they are in other places as well. So the long and short of that is that's what I try to cater more towards is the bow hunters. Because I think generally bow hunters, just their mindset, not trying to say anything bad about gun hunters, but I think they just generally think a little bit differently. Like they kind of respect the, the land and just things in general like they're okay if they don't kill something and they understand you know what hunting is all about more often than not now I've got some really good gun hunters but 
I would say in general, it's the bow hunters that get, you know, just get it at the end of the day. They understand what hunting's all about. So that's why I try to cater more towards that. So. Yeah, I, I think we can all agree, though, it's those waterfowl hunters that are the worst, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm and kidding. They spend the most money. <laughs> no, yeah, no, they no, do I'm spend just... a lot. <laughs> yeah. we, we we have a we have some good buddies that uh, love to deer hunt um but uh, you know and, and i'm sure it's probably some well maybe it's not because it's waterfowl and their migration patterns are a little bit different but uh you know waterfowl kind of overlaps with deer hunting up in michigan and uh the, you know a lot of times our our buddies will end up choosing waterfowl over deer hunting you know early season type of stuff so we always got to make fun of them before that one, so. <laughs> right why, why shoot a gun in the air when you can shoot right. a bow at a deer come on man <laughs> it's, it's it's nothing better on opening day than giving some cl some close to some sort of water and just hear pop 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 the whole thing yeah you, you know when shooting light is because you, you yeah. hear all the all the guns go off that's for sure but... uh, Hans, yeah. what's been your most memorable moment from some of your guests that you've oh, had geez. oh my god i could write a book on this I mean, she, I mean, I could go down. There's one that, uh, speaking of duck hunters, there's a, a Canadian that I've got, and um, and he, he's written a book on waterfowl decoys and like how much they're worth and everything like this. And he's a retired math teacher from Canada. So of course, when Corona came through, they closed the border. He couldn't come and turkey hunt. But gosh, he started hunting with me in 2011, and he'd been every year up until Corona hit, you know, which was about eight years. And, you know, he's, you know, gosh, in his mid seventies at the time. And uh, I don't know how much time you have for Larry, but I can give you stories about Larry that, uh, that you wouldn't think are possible, but they happened. And I have video footage to prove that they happened. Um, I would, I got to stop and think a second, but I think the first year that he came and hunted with me, um, we had a, a guy that was in my dad's high school class that helped me. And he's really kind of the one that helped me. He was the only, him and his family were the only ones to hunt our ground before I started taking in hunters. So he knew it really well and kind of really taught me about everything I knew. And Jim was his name. He had um, artificial knee replacement, had two artificial knees. Well, Larry had two artificial knees as well. So we called them the Iron Knees team. So there's, you know, and these guys, like people get buck fever, they got turkey fever. And if you don't think it's real, I can tell you with these two, it was oh so real. And uh, they're the type that they'd go out, you know, first thing in the morning. And then they wouldn't eat, they love to turkey hunt so much that when they came in for lunch, that they just pretty much throw down a sandwich and have to go right back out. I'm like, okay, y'all go knock yourselves out. Well, what happens when you get to your mid seventies and you really haven't taken a nap about midday? somebody's going to fall asleep. And so I dropped them off at a spot to go and turkey hunt. And uh, when I did, it wasn't more than, oh, about two to three hours later that I get a phone call and, uh, and it's Jim and he's calling me. He goes, hey, he goes, hey, uh, we got a turkey down, but, uh, but we might have kind of an issue. I'm like, okay, what's the issue? And he's like, well, you'll see when you come here. I'm like, Okay, what am I fixing to go into? <laughs> so I turned down the dirt road and it's in the middle of the trees. And as I'm going, I'm a quarter of a mile from it. I see the smokestack coming up from between the trees. I'm like, oh Lord, have mercy, what has happened? And so I get down there and, uh, and I go in through the trees and I'm getting, and as I walk through the trees and I come through the clearing, I'm looking to my right. There's my ground blind, my Primo's double bull ground blind 
is pretty much burnt to the ground. It's still on fire at this moment in time. Shut up. I'm like, and I'm looking over there and there's a dead Tom Turkey. And I'm like, what has happened? So I'm getting the story from Larry and Jim at this time. And, uh, and so Jim proceeds to tell me, he goes, well, Hans, he goes, you know, Larry and I hurried up and we got back in the blind and well, we both kind of nodded off. Uh, okay. And he goes, so, well, I was doing the calling. And when I did the calling, we had a Tom Turkey that came in full strut, spitting and drumming and everything. And he goes, well, I had to wake Larry up in order to get him to shoot the Tom Turkey. He was like at 12 yards. I'm like, okay. He goes, well, when Larry woke up, we both got so excited that we forgot the shoot through mesh was still up on the blind. So when he shot the turkey, it started, you know, some of the pellets ended up getting the blind started on fire. Well, with them both having artificial knees, he goes, we had a choice to make because that turkey was out there flopping and we didn't want him to get in the trees. It was either save your blind or save the turkey for taxidermy purposes. And you can see what they chose to do was save the turkey and forget about my blind at the end of the day. So it's burnt to smithereens, you know, $450 blind, who cares about that? But the turkey, oh yeah, we have to save it. So it was like, great. So then the next year with Larry, he came out and, uh, and I pick him up from the airport, you know, cause he's mid seventies and I'm like, I don't want him driving to the farm in a rental yeah. car and whatever. So he gets, um, I pick him up and we get to the farm. Well, from Wichita to our farm is about an hour and 15 minutes. And, uh, and, and I know I've gotten to know Larry a little bit at this point in time. And I realized when he's fidgety, something's a little bit amiss. And so we're getting to the farmhouse and this is a guy for eight years straight. Like it's a 1908 farmhouse and there's one bathroom in the place and he would never ever his his bedroom was literally 10 yards from the bathroom he'd always forget where the bathroom was love him to death but always forget where the bathroom was well when we got to the farm the next year he started pacing around the kitchen like something's wrong well he proceeds to tell me that he forgot his heart medication i'm like okay i was like so is this a big issue like you know some people it's a big issue and he's like well if i don't have it within 48 hours i'm dead awesome great oh, wow yeah <laughs> and he's from canada too so with the drug regulations like they are he had to have a friend smuggle his heart medication into new york state and overnight it to the farm so he didn't die so i turned into a drug smuggler into the year too for <laughs> heart medication so you know at this point in time you would think that somebody would be smart enough to just tell him not to come back but you know you know he did a lot of good for humanity so I'm like you know just let him come back well the next year he comes back as if all this wasn't enough and this continues to go on for years the next year he comes back we're going hunting south of our farm and he's sitting in a ground blind well I found out what the turkey fever was like because we went out after lunch and he's sitting there and he's sound asleep. He's got drill. I have pictures. He's got drill coming down through his face mask deal. And I mean, it's just all over him. He's just totally sound asleep. And I'm just over there, like trying to call in a Tom Turkey for him. And so anyway, finally, after about I don't, probably an hour, we get him to come in and I'm sitting behind him in the chair and he's sitting in front of me. And so finally the Tom Turkey's come in and I've got to wake him up. I've got to shake him. So when I finally shake him and wake him up, by the time I get him awake, he, with his gun having to come from Canada to the United States, he was using gems at that time. It had like a little red dot sight on it. It wasn't his gun, so he's not really used to it. And he's got arthritis really bad in his neck. So, you know, you're asleep, 
you got arthritis in your neck bad, you get turkey fever, like all these combination factors are just Murphy's laws coming into place at some point in time. And so I finally get him woken up and he's sitting there shaking. Like literally as soon as he's awake and he realizes the Tom turkeys are out there, he's shaking. I'm like, I'm holding him at this point to shoot the Tom turkeys. Well, he proceeds to shoot at him and he misses. Not once, but six different times he misses at this group of turkeys. Shut up. No, oh no, oh wait. So you think that these turkeys are done, right? You think that they're done. And I'm just over here handing him shells left and right. Well, they leave and we get two more Tom turkeys to come in about, I would say it took about two hours. Well, he proceeds to shoot and miss till we ran out of shells in that spot. We went through an entire box of shells and he's back there putting his hand to me to, you know, for more shells. And I'm like, Larry, we're out of shells. Like, here's your empty case of shells. Like, there's nothing left to shoot at. Like, we're out of shells. The turkeys are still there, but we got to leave because there's nothing left for you to shoot at. So we had to, yeah. So we had to leave, went through an entire box of shells. We left and went to another spot that night. And he ended up shooting and missing two more times that night. So yeah, luckily the next day he found and found how to shoot again and ended up tagging out with, I think by afternoon we tagged him out, but yeah. So he went through an entire box of shells. So I've got stories left and right about That's Larry. That's pretty funny. That is so funny, man. Absolutely <laughs> awesome. Well, I, well, well, we definitely need to get you back on to tell some more of those stories because that's the type of stuff that I love, man. I just, it's, it's so funny to hear people, other people's experiences, right? Like you have, like I might have one or two stories, you know, Jamie and I might, might have a couple stories about each other, but as many people as you take hunting, right. I, I, I can only imagine the amount of stories that you have, man. So that, that's, gosh, that's awesome. Really awesome. What the, yeah, no, I mean, I've got stories of guys forgetting their guns and going to the blind. I'm like, are we going hunting today or did you just want to go sit and look at the wildlife? Like, what are we doing here? So <laughs> I've got the video footage of Larry, of him. I, I guarantee you that day there, there was new cuss words invented, some Canadian cuss words I'd never heard before, but it's on video. And I've got the misses of him missing and those new cuss words are coming out. I'm sitting back there when he missed just trying not to laugh but after six minutes you have to be back there silently dying in laughter so, i think and, i'm gonna have to come down there when larry comes down there that sounds like a good time so. oh there's you just need to be here period because there's things that happen that you wouldn't believe i tell you that actually happen that do happen and people have seen them so i've got ufo stories and you know just anything you need i got it so that's awesome man so um, so speaking of coming down there um before before we get off here, tell everybody if they want more information about Dirt Road Outfitters, where, where can they get more information? Sure. If they want to, they can go to dirtroadoutfitters.com. Um, Instagram's the same thing. I think it's Dirt Road and then underscore Outfitters. Okay. Uh, we're on Facebook too, Dirt Road Outfitters. I think it's Dirt Road Outfitters in Kansas. But if you just type it in Google, the profile should come up there. And the reviews that are there, I promise I did not pay people to write those. For some reason, they said really nice things about us. And I do not know why, but we appreciate that very much. So, yeah, any of that stuff, type it in Google and you'll find us. So, Awesome hands. Well, I can't I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. It has been a yeah. great conversation <laughs> to hear, you know, from, from not only your point of view, how you got into it what outfitting is all about and what hunters can expect to do it. But some of the stories, man, we're going to have to have you on again soon. Well, thank you. I appreciate you all a bunch and thank you for having me on.
As usual, thank you guys so much for tuning into the Bowhunter Planet podcast. Your support is so appreciated. If you love archery and bow hunting, make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media as we have a lot more great content to share. We'll see you soon. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.